Hey, Nico. Welcome back for our 20th episode. I'm so excited. I know. It's only taken us like a year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we had a little six-month break there. Mm -hmm. While Um, we were getting microphones. But yes, episode 20. I still think that when we recorded episode 10, that was like two months ago. Oh, no. That was forever ago. I know. It was forever (laughs) ago. Wow. (laughs) That that means that we've covered nineteen people. Yeah. in our podcast, I'm very yeah. That's true because we. I mean, we're covering somebody this week, but for our tenth episode, we did yeah. a little special. Yes, yeah, something a little bit different back then. But yeah, I'm also very excited that it's a uh, springtime, and better weather is coming, and I cannot wait to go camping again and out in the woods. Right. That's because you and... don't have a car. My car turns yellow <laughs> in the spring. <laughs> Well, everyone's car turns yellow. In the I spring. know. Yes, it's just so annoying. I'm not excited about the the pollen, the pollen, but <laughs> I am excited about doing more things outdoors. For I, sure. Yeah, definitely. We have a camping trip in April at some point. I think it's towards the end, though. I don't remember. Yeah, I have like a list of things <laughs> of potential things that I'm about Updates. to do. Yes, updates and. Uh, We'll see how work goes. <laughs> I know that. That yes. pesky little thing called a job. <laughs> uh, why do we have those? I know. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. My dad just celebrated his 70th, 75th birthday. Oh, um, happy so birthday. Happy bir- exactly. Happy Your birthday. Um, and he's doing well. They went out to like a nice dinner mm-hmm. to a really nice restaurant in, in my hometown. And then, recently, my husband and I went to a wedding, and it was a beautiful wedding. They did an outdoor ceremony as well, and it was under this, like, big tree. It was in Florida, so we got a nice little, like, summertime break. We even went to the beach while we were there, Mm -hmm. and he got sunburnt, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't tell me this. (laughs) Yeah, so... He always has to put on, so he has more fair-skinned, so he has to put on sunscreen religiously yes. very well. And if he even misses the tiniest spot... It will be red. It'll, yeah. And so his whole body didn't get sunburned. It was just he missed a spot, and it was yeah. bright red. Much like the time we went to camp <laughs> I was, I was, I was debating about bringing up that story. Of <laughs> oh, my gosh. We went to the campground and decided to go kayaking, but the kayaks were the open kind. So not the kind that you sit in the hole, but like it's open. They're usually ocean kayaks, but this is on a river. So we did the whole day and we didn't think about our legs. So we covered the top part very well in sunscreen, but our legs we did not. And about halfway through the kayaking trip, we realized, but it was too late because we left the sunscreen in the car. (laughs) All I remember so, is getting when, back to the campground. When y'all returned the campground, and I was <laughs> in the swimming pool in the campground, and you were walking down the stairs to the swim, swimming pool area, and both your legs were just like lobster red. Yeah, bright red. And everyone was just staring at you. <laughs> yeah. I remember, like, so from your viewpoint, you were like in the pool. We were outside of the pool. I just remember, like, we opened the gate, walked into the pool area, and if you've ever seen, what are those little animals that like pop oh, out? The meerkat. Yeah, the meerkats, where they all turn at once. Yeah, that is what happened. Is the whole <laughs> pool area just 
turned and stared at us. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. It, 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 it looks so bad. It looks so bad. It was <laughs> We recovered, though. So we're all safe and good. Nobody yes. lost their legs. No, but, no, yes. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but we did. We went to Florida. Had this beautiful time. Nice summer weather in the middle of winter. But we were at the wedding. Like I said, beautiful ceremony. We all went to the reception, and there was, like, a lot of dancing and everything. And then, towards the end of the night, people, like, started getting tired. Mm -hmm. And so, people just, like, left the dance floor and went to the front. But I was kind of standing there in the front, and I realized the band was still playing. But nobody was in there dancing. And... The bride and groom weren't ready to do the whole exit yet. And so I was like, oh, well, I don't want the band to be in there with nobody. (laughs) (laughs) So me being the good gay boy went back there and started dancing. And then my husband followed suit and we started dancing. And then the whole party just came back in and started dancing. I was like, hey, we saved the dance floor. And then, of course, they, for, like, one of their last songs, did Proud Mary, which, you know, is, like, super energetic. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever seen Tina perform Proud Mary... Many, many times. Yeah, she does this thing, like, when she she goes from the slow... Yeah, from the slow to the fast, she does, like, this Mm -hmm. whole, like... She like lunges forward. So I know that move because we For have also seen that. For our audience, Matthew is mimicking Tina Turner's <laughs> movements at this moment, by the yeah, way. Yeah, because we know it. So, um, well, I made my husband, I think I just said his name, but well, basically learn the dance because whenever it comes on, I do it. And like, we've watched the video of her doing it so many times. So we were doing that. And the lead singer of this band that was playing, like, stopped the music, or stopped singing. I think she, like, had them continue a little, like, background. And then called him up front, and then me up front for us to, like, do the dance. So you provided In front of every Yes. (laughs) She was like, y'all are dancing your asses off! (laughs) And it was mainly him, I mean, because I... You know, that's a high-energy song, and I can only get through about half of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I did, like, the first verse, and then I was like, okay, I gotta go get a drink of water. And then by the time I came back, that's when she's calling him up on the stage. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, I mean, (sighs) you know, the gays do know this dance. I do... I was surprised that... I guess I've seen her perform it so many times that I've also memorized the steps. Right. And and the movement. Right. we... I was at a karaoke about two weeks ago for a birthday, and someone did do Proud Mary. And half the people there knew (laughs) the routine because it was at a gay bar. Okay. (laughs) And and but I was like, yeah, I will follow suit with it. And I was doing Tina Turner, and yes. it was like, oh my god, it's in our DNA. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't want to call out a friend, but I do. We were on a yes, retreat <laughs> <laughs> recently. This will tell me if he listens to the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> we were you and I were on a retreat recently. Is it the same and, retreat? Yes. Oh, okay. And uh, 
Tina Turner came on, and all of us started singing, <laughs> except for, like, one person. And he I turns to me, and he goes, forgot about <laughs> he goes, white people music. <laughs> and we all just turned to him flabbergasted, because I was just, I was like, one, he said it in a way where I could tell he didn't know it was Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wait, you don't know Tina Turner? And then two, it took me that, like, half a second to be like, Tina Turner is not white people music. <laughs> Granted, to his defense, he was raised without yeah, uh, this pop is cultural true. references. Yeah. <laughs> that. But it was a, a misfired comment. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that, yes. <laughs> oh, so. Yeah. It was funny. It was fun. <laughs> Guys, if you haven't caught on, we are Queer Icons Podcast, and this is where we cover and discuss important figures of the LGBT plus community, and we give our thoughts on why they resonate with the community. This week for Queer as Fuck, what do you have? Oh, yes. Very excited about this one because it involves one of my favorite Hollywood actresses, Jamie Lee Curtis. And who I love celeb- her. I know, she's amazing. Right. I had the biggest She's had that lesbian haircut forever. <laughs> was it? Was it? Because it was that the little, short? Yeah, that short haircut, yeah. Oh. Mm, I like that. <laughs> I, th- I, I do too. I thought it was... I, and it's very her. I in, mean, like... In True Lies, I think it was, like, a sexual awakening uh-huh. scene where she transforms from, like, this frumpy housewife. Like, you know the scene with the little yes. black dress? Yes. Where it's just, like, she rips that dress apart and then just pours some water in her head and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it's like a whole new person. What just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Yes. It was incredible. But anyway, what this has to do is actually her celebration of her trans daughter's birthday. And she used uh, her platform to speak about the anti-trans legislation in the States. So in her words, this country was founded on freedom, a profoundly simple idea that everyone living here should be free to dream and achieve what they want freely. Our Declaration of Independence promises that we are endowed with certain un alienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to defy it to ensure safety and happiness. A profound idea. Safety and happiness. Now, politicians are proposing that parents providing gender-affirming care to their own children are felons and deserve prison time. These laws are discriminatory, unjust, and anti-American. Freedom of expression includes gender expression. As a proud parent of my trans daughter, I vow to use my freedom of speech and my right to vote to support my child and all children trying to live freely as who they are. So very powerful words. Yeah, definitely. And these are these are the things that I truly respect. Uh, celebrities that have an audience to use their platform for. Yeah. Instead of spreading division and and hatred, like this is something personal to to her and her family, and you see how it can really affect so many people. Right. 
And now that it was any of my business, I was actually unaware that she had a trans daughter um, uh, until this came out. Because I remember reading about this yeah, a few days uh, ago as well. She only came out pub- publicly, I think, last summer or last year. Oh, okay. One of those. So it's it's a recent thing. But I, I do follow Jamie Lee Curtis on mm-hmm. social media. and Always very engaging posts, really. Right. When, when they have to do with social political issues. Nice. Yes. So, what about you? What is your queer as fuck this week? I don't really have a hot topic one this week, but I was, during my research for this, for Miss Major, mm-hmm. I actually found this NBC article from last month, and it's um, 16 queer trailblazers who have made history. And it's a really nice little inclusive list. There's a lot of people. There's a few people that we have already covered, like Stormy DeLarvery. Mm-hmm. And we're covering James Baldwin next week. They're also on here. And they're pretty, like, short little paragraphs about the people. It's a little so easy to read. Vignette, yeah, so we'll, we'll probably give a little more information when we cover them or have been. But, like, Marsha P. Johnson's on there, and even Miss Major is on there. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was, like, cool to call this out and get people to read it. They put it out, I guess, during Black History Month, which also inspired us to do our little grouping this time, our little four episodes. We're covering all Black history people, Black queer icons, so. Yes. That was cool to call it out. No, absolutely. I also do like how your first comment after reading that article was that, Absence of RuPaul <laughs> in it, but I have to say that RuPaul has gone very mainstream right now. Right, so it's not a figure that one should like really have trouble looking into because right. they're just exposed to all the Drag Race franchises and TV and all that. Whereas all these other figures, they are less known in the mainstream. Yeah. They should and be discovered yeah, more. Definitely, yeah. And and have attention drawn to them a little more. Yes. So which is kind of what like we it. we're doing. That's part yes. of the, the concept of this podcast too. Right. Is to bring like history and and like gay history through interesting people that have like made it. Yes. And, yeah. Oh, or absolutely. encouraged it. Guys, don't forget to look us up on Instagram. We're trying our best. Hopefully, we're going to get a little bit more active on there and get us in there. And you can also email us at queericonspodcast at gmail.com. And please send us any questions or comments. This week, we are covering Miss Major Griffin Gracie. Mm -hmm. And she is a trans woman who is also a trans rights activist. And she moved to several places. She lived in New York and she San Diego. Chicago, moved to New York, yeah. San Diego, San Francisco, Francisco and now Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. So has moved several places and I felt like that was probably the um easiest thing for us to talk about cuz she kind of achieved different things in each different place and kind of grew as a person in each place and, and doing the different things. And so I thought it would be cool to talk to about our moves. You have a really big one yes. and how we kind of grew as a person in each one. I decided to make my move in my early to mid teens, mm-hmm. really from Greece to the States when I was, I think about 15, 14, 15 years old, 
I realize I have double citizenship, and why not use that? And uh, so that made it slightly into, easier to it, immigrate into far, the far United States. Easier. Yeah, I still had a little bit of a culture shock. Right, a lot of things. It's just were, the paperwork part was a lot easier. But the paperwork part was extremely <laughs> different. Um, extremely easy. Yeah. Uh, compared to in other international students, I was still mm-hmm. considered an international student, and I wanted to be considered that because right. I, had been to the States once before for a vacation. Right. And Disney World is not, like, life, real life. <laughs> um, they're trying to make it real life. They, are they? They're building They're building a, a few neighborhoods oh, across the country. I, I think they have, like, three that. planned at this point. They did one in the 90s, which they don't own anymore and don't manage. So, yeah, they're, they're I guess, restarting that. Pro- I don't know. They're doing something. I didn't know about the 90s thing, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I did read somewhere that they're starting those neighborhoods. I forgot yeah. about that. The one in the 90s was called Celebration. That was the name of the town. Uh-huh. And is everything going to have, like, hidden Mickey Mouse ears everywhere? I have no idea. Okay. Just wondering. It it was a very interesting transition. And one of the, the major things that I did truly achieve was coming to terms with my sexuality at a far friendlier environment, a more open-minded environment. Sadly, my home country does suffer from the machismo culture. Mm-hmm. Where you are considered less of a man if you're not a cisgender straight person, you know, man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, realizing that early on in my teens, I decided, yes, I need to move away and figure out myself. And uh, it's been, you know, quite a challenging journey, but I feel. If I were back in my home country, it would have been even harder. Less resources available, a smaller community. And I have observed that going back home every time, because I do try and visit the neighborhoods and, and, you know, besides Mykonos, which is like the gay Mecca (laughs) in the summertime, you know, people are still struggling for sure. Yeah. And but this doesn't mean that people are not struggling here in the states. I also acknowledge all the effort that we still need to keep putting and obviously in Jamie Lee Curtis' words, you know, like there's still work to be done through legislation to protect us. Definitely. And our community. Yeah. I mean like we we definitely have a good environment here of sorts. I mean that doesn't mean that there's not work to do, but mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other countries, we Yes, by comparison, for sure. <coughs> and it doesn't mean that machismo doesn't exist here as well. No, no. But it was easier to find communities where it doesn't. Right. What about you? So, my first major move was from Virginia to North Carolina. And I was basically kind of escaping high school and the parental thumb I didn't want to go to the schools that everybody from my high school was going to because I was worried I was going to fall into that same trap of, like, caring about them instead of myself and what they thought and, like, being worried about what they were telling my peers Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I went to a school where not uh, many people from my high school went. However, I got placed in 
a dorm suite with somebody I went to high school <laughs> So I was like, why did you do this to me? Was it randomized? Uh, and... Well, no. So I'm sure to the school, they wanted, like, because both of us are, like, coming from kind of kind of far away. Like, we're moving there without, mm. without as much of a support system. Mm-hmm. And so to them, they're, they think, oh, we'll give them someone nearby who is familiar. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So in so their like, head, it makes sense. Right, it, to yeah. them. But when you do that to a gay kid in particular, who, like, this is their first time trying to, like, escape, usually, yeah. th- that type of stuff, it's actually kind of has the the reverse effect of, like, well, you know, I can't spread my wings to be who I want to be. Although, I ignored it and... Went on with my life. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, my freshman roommate and I, we were both in the closet. Oh, yeah? Yes. <laughs> and and we, we're, we're still friends to this day. But it's been interesting watching our journeys of, like, coming out. Right. Because we were, like, each other's, like, some of the first people to, like, come out Not to. Some, yes. Or, like, you know, you're questioning uh, your sexuality and right. those those things. So yeah, it was interesting that we were because we were randomly selected, right? Placed there, and I'm like, oh, what are the odds? <laughs> That's why. So my actual roommate was random. It's just they mm-hmm. had put this other boy in the same suite as us, so gotcha. like you know, nearby, not like right there with me. Mm-hmm. But that was a big motivation, motivating factor of like going to a school that was out of state was that I wanted to it to be out. Too. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I had hidden my entire high school years. In my senior year, I kind of became a little more rebellious and started to be like, well, fuck you. You've been saying this for six years. Like, do you have anything new to say about me? You yeah. don't? Okay, for cool. Sure. I'm moving the fuck on with my life. I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like senior year is one of my favorite years. Is like probably my favorite year of high school for that reason because I had much more of the fuck you attitude and like quit giving a shit about these people that were trying to bully me yeah high school is such a weird microcosm that while you are in it you think this is everything and well it is I mean it's your whole world basically Uh, you know sure but it could be so much more I mean it could (laughs) but like you don't know that at that age, and you don't have the freedom to really explore the world. So, like, this really is kind of your world, you know? Yeah, okay, true. You you definitely have a solid point, but yeah. I wish I could go back in time and just kind of shake me a little bit. I was like, this isn't all there is. Right. Uh, and you're also so young you don't realize how much of your life is ahead of you so you really think that this four years like everything has the utmost importance even though it really even though my high school was quite pleasant like the last two years were very like full full of like friendship and fun and activities and travel so like no complaints yeah but did I go through teenage angst? Yes. Did I go through a, <laughs> a lot of does. a lot of confusion? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So then when I left school, I moved to North Carolina. I say left school because I did not graduate at that point. Mm. And basically I moved to Atlanta because my sister lived here and I didn't want to crawl back home to my parents being a failure. After school, so I moved down here, and credit to my sister and her husband, they allowed me to move in in their first year of marriage. So, (laughs) hey, we've been married for four months, let's, you know, invite your brother. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was slightly longer than that, but like it was it was within the first year, so and they let me live with them. So thanks. And I also just I was craving a city lifestyle. The school I went to yeah. was in a small town in North Carolina. But hey, you're making up for it with like babysitting duties now. I, I mean, I guess, yeah. There you go. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and in moving to Atlanta, I definitely found like a larger gay community. For mm-hmm. I mean, I think I have mentioned this on the podcast before, actually, that when you first come out, like again, kind of like high school, the whole gay world is the bar scene. Mm-hmm. And in moving to larger cities, you find out like, oh, that's not the whole gay world. There are so many facets and things to explore yes you don't have to be a party gay yeah there's a lot of other venues and communities and things to do for sure definitely but it's definitely the easier access to have especially with like american culture that Mm -hmm. in your early adulthood is geared so much around partying and nightlife and drinking yes these are kind of like your outlets but yes absolutely so much more things. Right. <laughs> so many more things. So this week, like I said, we are covering Miss Major Griffin Gracie. Yes. So Miss uh, Major was born in the south side of Chicago on October 25th, 1940, and was assigned male at birth. Now, around the age of 13, she came out to her parents, and they tried a psychologist, an exorcism even, and a lots of prayer. Mm-hmm. Which all failed to change Miss Major. So then, sadly, her parents did kick her out of their home. Yeah, and this was in the 50s. So it was before any, like, major gay rights movements were happening. It's putting things into perspective. Yeah. Like, reading her story, it's very similar to a lot of other stories that I... I've read about LGBT people. Yeah. But then putting into perspective how early it was from starting out in... Right, like, when this would not have been accepted. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, like, some parallels with her story and... Sylvia. Sylvia that Sylvia we covered. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they knew each other. Yeah, they did. Actually. They were actually friends, yeah. Yeah, they were friends. So, yeah, she participated at drag balls in her youth and, you know, just like her peers... They all lack terminology to define and question a lot of their assigned birth gender. So it wasn't until the late 50s that Miss Major came out as a transgender woman, which actually was met with criticism from her peers. Because there was that lack of education, too, and information and um, acknowledgement of gender. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because uh, she talked about the balls, and it sounded like the balls in Chicago were different than what we think of as the, like, ball scene in mm-hmm. New York, which is it looked like it was, like, only around, like, once a year, and it was kind of like the prom, mm-hmm. and they all got dressed up, and so many of them would dress, like, against their gender, mm-hmm. but then when she came out as, like, actually wanting to be against her gender, like, her peers attacked her, who were also participating in the same events. So it's weird. It sounds bizarre now in 2022. Right. Like, that. (laughs) But, yeah. And then reading uh, more about it is that at the start of her transition, she relied on the black market for hormones, and we do see how dangerous transitioning was. Yeah. I mean, it's still can be dangerous without proper care and doctor nowadays here. 
and having a lot of you know trans friends and hearing their stories it is definitely a challenge but like imagine if you did not really even have that health care just very it was very startling yeah or a doctor to like give you like prescriptions prescriptions. for like yeah yeah no for sure now, in 1962, after being expelled from two colleges for wearing dresses, she moved to New York City. There, she found a six-floor apartment building full of trans girls. That sounds, like, amazing. <laughs> right. And in her words, actually, a lot of them, or most of them, really, were sex workers because they could not find that. other means of employment. And even herself... She was frequently fired from jobs because of her gender presentation. So to make an income, she did perform at drag reviews, but also relied a lot of sex work and petty crime. Yeah, I saw that. And what she did say in an interview I heard with her that she she tended to always have a job, but she always kept the doing sex work, work yeah, yeah, to to make sure she was like stable, you yes. know, it's like yeah. No, for sure. And and apparently she did enjoy sex work from what yeah. I was reading in one of the interviews that, that she gave, you know, all the men's <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it was obviously a, a dangerous profession because mm-hmm. um, it was out in the streets. Yeah, now, she was talking about how they would like, try to get the Johns to, like, exit the vehicle so that the people could see that. <laughs> yes. So that pivots me to, like, the next moment where it was around that time that she started her trans activism after being made aware of how many young trans women were being murdered and ignored by the world. So in the 70s, a friend named Puppy, who was a Puerto, Puerto Rican trans woman and sex worker, was found dead in her own apartment. So after this event, she looked out for the other girls, and in her words, she said, I was involved with it when my friend died, puppy. She was murdered in her apartment, and we knew at the time that someone who knew her had murdered her. And the police did not care. It didn't matter to them at all. And so that started my activism, because then I wanted to know what cars people would get in, what the person looked like, that they got in with when they left and when they came back was important. And all of us started keeping notes to keep up with the Johns because we didn't know what would happen to us then. So yes, they did have them quite frequently get out of the vehicle to then put them. So the other girls could see could identify them. Yeah. Could identify them. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, it sounds like more for the group's safety than to really get them like prosecuted or anything because like you said the police were ignoring the issues and so they just wanted even if we end up harmed we want like other people to know so that they don't make the mistake again or or get in with the wrong person yeah and it's an it was an accountability thing and it's a safety precaution quite clever because you kind of have to take your own protection in your own hands if you don't feel protection protected by the police Which, obviously, they were not protecting them. And now, on June 1969, Miss Major was in the Stonewall Inn meeting with a girlfriend when the bar was raided, sparking the Stonewall riots. 
She proved to be a leading figure in the riot, but was struck on her head by a police officer and was taken into custody. She reported that a corrections officer broke her jaw while in prison. Now she said, I got knocked out early because I heard from the girls that you need to piss the police off so that when, <clears throat> so that they would knock you out. And so I was concerned about getting hurt, getting something broken, or being bashed where I couldn't work anymore. So I spit in some guy's face and he knocked me out. Other than that, I don't remember nothing. It was a decision because it was safer. I was young and I was pretty and I wanted to keep my face. So we do see that she was actually advised by other people, get yourself knocked out because then they will then stop bashing you and right. they will not mess up your your face, face. and your livelihood. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was so interesting. The, the advice. Of right. The time. Wow. Just, just insane. But yeah, we've covered the Stonewall before here and it's very interesting seeing another account from like another leading figure like we've covered Sylvia Rivera and eventually we will cover Marsha of course but it's truly amazing how many figures like came out of there yeah we're there for, for sure now obviously like as we're observing this pattern Miss Major did face a lot of discrimination a lot of injustice and violence with law enforcement and the prison industrial system these experiences did push her to help incarcerated and formerly incarcerated transgender people. And now while she was incarcerated at the Clinton Correctional Facility, she was mentored and politicized by Frank Big Black Smith, who was a leader at the Attica prison riots in 1971. So by the time she was released in 74, she had hope and plans to assist her community. She was informed, she educated herself, and she was ready. <laughs> yeah, and I saw that while in prison, she was treated poorly. And at mm -hmm. first, she thought it was just her yes. that was being treated this way. And then when um, this gentleman, along with a few others, got transferred to her prison and she started talking to them, she realized that it was not just her, that that everybody was getting treated this way, which is part of what spurred her her activism as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a change, an ignition, really. Right. To look past your own self and further to the community. Now, in 1978, she moved to San Diego and really threw herself into helping trans people suffering from homelessness, addiction, and incarceration. Now, soon the AIDS epidemic began and Miss Major shifted her focus also on providing health care and planning multiple funerals each week. That has to be exhausting. Exhaust, yes. I just finished watching the last season of Pose, which uh, I know I've you haven't seen, seen it, so yeah. I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> but that exhaustion, mm -hmm. I can, and, and that planning, yes, it, it was present. It, it, was, it was there, and my God. Which they've covered a little bit in, in some of the other seasons as well, the amount of people dying of AIDS during that time mm -hmm. and that they were going to funerals. Yeah. I, I really right. don't think our young, the younger generations can really uh, fathom and think how many funerals there were, right. how many people died. And 
and how many funerals that you had to plan for your friends and community members because their families were kind of discarding them. Yeah, or disregarding them. Yeah, or they were taking them and not allowing their friends to come to the funerals. Yeah. Uh, so they had to hold their own, basically, mm-hmm. in order to have any kind of closure. Goodbye, yeah, goodbye. or closure. Yeah. No, for sure. And um, so it's a, I mean, it's definitely a service that that someone had to provide yeah. to the community. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, if I remember correctly, Miss Major did provide some services. Right. I think so, yeah. And now, in in the mid-90s, she moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, and she served on multiple HIV-AIDS organizations. I think by that time, she was really cementing herself as a leading figure of LGBT rights activism in, in the States. In 2005, she became the first director of the Transgender, Gender Variant, and Intersex Justice Project until her retirement in 2015. The organization uh, provides legal services for transgender and gender variant non-conforming people, primarily those in California prisons, jails, and detention centers. So we really see where her passion really lies and from her personal experiences. She also founded the Griffin Gracie Educational Retreat and Historical Center, also known as the House of Gigi. Its mission is to create programs, services, and resources that positively impact the lives, history, and visibility of transgender, gender questioning, and gender nonconforming people. Another fascinating thing is like her personal life. Miss Major has five sons. Her first one was born in 78. Then she adopted three runaway boys. And then most recently, in January 2021, she had another son with her partner, Beck Witt, who's also an LGBT activist and a trans man. And, like, we really see this motherly figure. Yes. And that has been going on for decades. She's been an activist for, like, what is it, 40, almost 50 years now? Over 50 years. Over 50 years. Mm -hmm. Math is not my strong suit. (laughs) I went to art school. I just know it because they said it in articles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was also has been called mother by like so many that she has helped. And I heard her in one of the interviews talk about that of just being like so honored whenever, yeah. you know, someone would ask, you know, can I call you mother? Mm-hmm. So it was very touching. It is. Yes. It, it is. I think it, it's quite rewarding, you mm-hmm. know, because she's definitely a person that has given so much of herself for the community and then hearing that come back that must be really really rewarding and now she did suffer a stroke in the summer of 2019 but apparently she recovered quite well she just speaks slower she, yeah from what i noticed in like interviews yeah but that's hopefully it which is <laughs> you know good now if you want to learn more about miss major i highly recommend the 2015 documentary by Annalise Fillion called Major and the 2021 Trans in Trumpland docuseries produced by Ms. Major. Right. That will really give you more of a perspective and tell us more about that. So the so the documentary the for, the one you first talked about just called Major mm-hmm. that was actually funded by a group called Astrea which is like a lesbian arts project mm-hmm. i believe if i if i got the information right so that was actually funded by the queer community 
So that's kind of like a cool thing. And then she is, like you said, an executive producer on a docuseries called Trans in Trumpland. Mm-hmm. So it goes around and um, talks to trans people that are living, you know, not in cities, but like more in rural communities and kind of their experience. I only saw the first episode, which was about a trans youth living in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was very interesting. It was kind of a way, it was also, the episode kind of also introduced the host of the series. So I feel like moving forward, the host may not play like quite as large a role in the other ones because they have to get the kind of their story and, and you it. to buy in for that. But it was definitely very interesting seeing this child. They were 15 during the recording mm-hmm. and then had come out as trans at 12. And it explored the the difficulties that the mother was having in even attaining the hormones for their child. So a doctor would prescribe the hormones and then the pharmacy would say, would refuse. And so like just the fight they had there. And then also the fight and changing their name was like very interesting that they had to go to the, to the courthouse and publicly like post I, I, something I that remember, said, yes, yeah, publicly post that they wanted to change their name yeah. and and the reason why mm-hmm. and their address. So you're giving like all this information that could be very dangerous mm-hmm. because people are so violently against trans people sometimes that it's just it was very interesting. It was very well done. I I am very happy that they have like Miss Major as executive producer to help you know lead and really. Yeah, really put in the important topics. Absolutely, so that it's not and, and so surface level. It's also about like the current people, the the youth, right? And, because we do see as we progress as a nation and as a community and as a society, younger people are coming out whether they're like gay, lesbian, or trans, but they feel more comfortable, and that is because of trailblazers, right? Like this major, yeah, that they've put so much effort into this yeah and the fact that like people will fight against you when you have like been to a doctor like a doctor is not gonna willy-nilly give you some things like you're going through the proper channels and getting the support you need and yet you feel your morals are more important than the health of somebody else that does not make sense to me yeah absolutely it's uh, it's heartbreaking. It, it is heartbreaking. <laughs> yes, I was. I ran out of words. Which I is know. <laughs> it is. It is. And again, just like highlights the importance of us to continue our work, and that uh, while gay rights are not exactly where they need to be, we need to have a focus on trans rights. Yes, know? like they have been missing for too long, and that's one of they the have things. been missing for too long, and it's. And it's also an issue within our community, and it's something that Miss Major has been quite scrutinous about. Yes. That a lot of cisgender people in our community do ignore trans people and their importance from the Stonewall riots, how they were key members. And right. That 
uprising and getting things done. We saw it again with when we covered Sylvia Rivera. Too, right, it's it very keeps late. Coming back. Yes. That they're getting the recognition like really late in life or after their death. Right. And then also, or like not at all. And uh, our community should not be divided. Really, we have enough division with the heteronormative and uh, conservative community that insist on conserving ideals that repress and oppress people. So what what are we doing within our own community? Because they are a part of us. Very, it's a touchy subject. <laughs> we can get really into We can get on our soapbox and talk for hours. <laughs> yes. But guys, definitely look up more on Miss Major. She is a very interesting character. Very interesting to listen to. She is still yes. alive. So luckily there are like this documentary and there are interviews out there to listen to. So it's it's really easy to get a real sense of who she has been and who she is mm-hmm. and just learning about her life. Absolutely. And come join us next week for James Baldwin. Yes. Very excited about that too. Yes. And then we have a really big one coming up two weeks from now. Yes, we do. Yes. (laughs) I had to think about it. I was like, who was in the list? We do have a very long list. Yes, we do. (laughs) But two weeks from now, I think you guys will really like it and be really intrigued. So. Come back and visit us, and thank you for listening today. Have a great week.